What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here with The Scale-Up Show. I have Jordan Hauer on today. Jordan talks about some amazing things in regards to data, leveraging different sources, how he's growing the business in a bootstrap manner, uh, some awesome insights that he's taking an alternative approach is go to market is really unique, especially for someone on the data side. So you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions. And this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Jordan Howard. Jordan is the co-founder and CEO of Amass Insights and also co-founder of Big Data Protocol, which is a crypto-enabled marketplace. Uh, so basically, Amass Insights is an alt-data technology company with the largest pipeline of data streams. Uh, he was also one of the pioneers in email transaction data. Uh, was a lead technologist at a multi-billion dollar equity fund. And on top of it, it was identified as one of New York's top 100 CEOs in the analytics space. Jordan, man, happy, happy to have you here. Welcome on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, quite, quite a mouthful of that intro, but uh, you, got, you got some good things cooking over there. So I'm excited to get into it real quick before we get into your backstory and everything that's going on. Let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So where are you guys at in the stage of the journey of uh, revenue? Uh, well, we don't, we don't release that publicly, um, but I can tell you we are between uh, one to five. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you that kind of detail. <laughs> All right, no problem, man. And then what's your primary revenue growth go to market strategy? Uh, it's, it's really just personal relationships, um, in, in my space, in the space that I typically, um, uh, you know, go in is the hedge fund industry. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, pre previous relationships and, you know, building personal face-to-face -face relationships. So, you know, there's multiple ways you can do that. Um, and, uh, one of the, one of the good drivers is just being at events that people are at in person. Um, and also having been, having worked at a hedge fund before you can get, uh, you know, your, your former colleagues can introduce you to people that, you know, that, that, that they're working with currently. Um, and uh, that's typically the way it works. Okay. Um, one other thing I'll, I'll mention is when you have an interesting data set, if you just know the right person at, at a hedge fund that, that buys data, they don't care who you are. As long as you're, as long as you can make a decent case for your data set, they will look at it. So email them. <laughs> that makes sense, man. Well, how, how big is your team? Uh, we're still small and bootstrapped, so we're 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 eight people. Okay, good man. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I it's so funny, man. I've compared companies before, and I'll see companies with the same amount of revenue, and one will have fifty, and one will have eight, right? Like <laughs> like you're saying, and the uh, one with fifty is the one that um, lost their shit when the uh, market went down, and the one with eight is the one that's completely comfortable and uh, growing profitably. So, anyways. Um, not going to go too much down the rabbit hole, but yeah, sometimes smaller teams are better. What What's exactly your solution? Can you explain it in like two to three sentences? I know it serves hedge funds, but can you just walk through it in like two to three sentences? Sure. Um, so what we do is we try to find uh, and and uh, understand in as much detail as possible all the mm -hmm. data providers that are out there in the world with a specific focus on um, which ones are you know particularly valuable to an investor. And th that could be a private equity investor be a public equity investor. Um, we've typically focused on, you know, quantitative hedge funds just because they're the ones that use the most data. Um, but uh, what we do is we act as an extension 
to their data sourcing team, and they have these they have teams for this these days. So um, we sometimes take requests to find the data that they're looking for a particular thing. Maybe it's um, you know understanding uh, what the next uh, driver of revenue will be for for Amazon. You know what type of AWS product is going to be big next, for example. Um, or it could be more us finding a new data source that has never been seen by anybody before. And, you know, based on our experience, knowing that that's valuable and, and telling our clients about that. Okay. That's really unique, Matt. So like how, what, what kind of data source will provide like the next driver of revenue for Amazon? You know, give me an example of like what you're talking about or how you kind of unearth that. Cause it's a, I mean, that's a really unique kind of value prop that I haven't heard before. Sure. So, I mean, you can think of Amazon in a couple, uh, there's a couple of main kind of uh, business units they have, AWS being one, and the typical, um, you know, consumer business, uh, e-commerce marketplace being the other. So there's different metrics that you want to look at, different data sets you want to look at for each of those. Um, so one, uh, one Amazon data source uh, actually harkens back to, you know, how I got, I got into this industry, which was through email transactional data. Um, and that will give you a good sense for how uh, Amazon is trending on the consumer side. Um, right. So let me let me stop you there. Explain email transactional data, just so everybody understands that, because sure. that's that's uh, not going to be common, you know, common knowledge for most folks. Sure. Um, I, I so there's a number of ways, number of products or, or software platforms that can plug into your email. Um, some of them are free. Some of them are, are paid. And as most of us know these days, if it's free, you're probably the product. Um, but, uh, and it's, but it's not nefarious. Um, so, uh, what we did, uh, about 10 years ago, um, was partnered with one of those email tools that had a lot of users and really no way to make, make, uh, cash. Um, and it was a very useful product. I still use it today, actually. Um, it's called unroll me. Um, so what it does is it helps you unsubscribe from emails, helps you get rid of spam, helps you organize your emails better. Um, and uh, in the background, what they're doing to make money now, and I started this monetization plan uh, when I was there, um, was uh, aggregating and anonymizing the email receipts within that data set. So if you buy something on Amazon, if you subscribe to Netflix, if you buy something on walmart.com, um, you, you get an email receipt. And in the case of Amazon, for example, like almost the entire business is done through email. Um, so if you have a big enough sample size, you can get a better sense for how Amazon is trending in terms of sales when, before they announce their quarter, um, you know, ahead of time. So they announce their quarter typically, you know, 30 or so days after the quarter ends. Um, so in that 30 days, you have, an, have the ability to see before anybody else sees, um, you know, what the revenue numbers are trending towards in relation to consensus. Um, so that's, uh, that was the, we were the first to ever do that about 10 years ago. Um, there's now a number of firms doing it. And, uh, actually that, that email panel is now owned by Nielsen. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, so are, are you basically from that email? And this is me just digging one level deeper on this, like scraping, like the, the receipt transaction numbers then? Yeah. It's in the email. You can see how much money was spent. Um, in some cases, you can see the products that it was spent on, um, and uh, those are the most important numbers. Uh, just the 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 underlying um, you know revenue being generated. Wow! Okay. And back when I started uh, working, you know, with this type of data, Amazon actually included every single product and item in the in the email. 
um, and, and the prices for each, which was super rich information. Uh, but they, I, and, and we think it was in, in response to either us or others that were doing this, they stopped including the products in their emails. Um, they wanted to keep that data to themselves. And, uh, um, so now there's now now you have to in order to get that type of product level information from Amazon, you actually need and there there exists these things where there's products that actually plug directly into Amazon, um, and and you're able to gather that information not through email but through Amazon itself. Wow. Okay. Is there any application of that as well for the the business side of things like B two B as opposed to just B two C? So B two B is has uh, historically been a much harder. Uh, um, uh, vertical to find data for, and it's still pretty much the top um, request we get from from funds. Uh, but there's a number of ways to to look at you know B two B or B two B transactions or B two B you know business in general. Uh, one of which is through uh, targeted um, surveys um, to, and, and obviously the important part there is surveying the right people. So there's a company called ETR that um, has had a long, long-standing uh, business of surveying the CIOs, chief information officers, um, at at big businesses, and so they'll they'll be able to tell you, you know, if they are enjoying a tool, if they're looking at you know bringing on a new tool. Um, there's al- also other ways like um, there's a company called uh, Bombora that mm-hmm. um, uh, looks at. Um, the interest in certain technology tools by seeing um, whether people are reading articles about those tools. Um, another example being, uh, if you look at people's resumes, you can actually see what tools they had been using or have been using in either a current job or a former job. And that, that will give you a sense for whether that company is actually using that tool in that job. So those are, those are a few different ways. Um, it's not as easy typically, um, but there are, uh, and we're talking to a company like this, there are new potential data sources coming online where you can actually gather, you know, at least this type of information through invoices, um, through, you know, AWS invoicing a customer. Obviously, you only, only get a, you can only get a subset of those invoices through particular sources, but um, that's a new way we're exploring right now. Wow. That's wild, man. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I used to have on Roll Me. Uh, I get kind of freaked out though. Once I looked at their ownership, it just, I, I uh, didn't want to use them anymore. So I stopped using them a long time ago, which is funny. And then cross referencing what you're talking about with Amazon, like literally I was like, how do I stop Amazon from sending me all these damn emails? Like, but you can't, there's no way to shut it off unless I just did not discover it or I'm not that bright. But like, literally I was going after it. And I'm like, I tried to shut off emails. It like wouldn't let me do it. I'm so like, I can't use, email, I mean, use a filter. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you just do a filter. Oh, I don't send it to my Gmail account. I, I send it to, which is now my junk account, right? Which, yeah. which gets all that, right? I don't, I don't do any real business on the account that all my Amazon um, receipts go to. But, but that I makes a lot of sense. Feels better when I got a burner account, burn, burner email account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you you don't have like three thousand crap emails a day, and you're constantly unsubscribing. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Hello, 
this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So let's talk about your business a little bit more, man. I mean, thanks for going down the path of, of really kind of identifying the email transactional data. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I'm familiar with Bambora. I think they got bought by Outreach.io. Uh, okay. I believe they got acquired from them. Or maybe it's Zoom Info, one of the two. I can't remember. But anyways, familiar with that, familiar with intent signals out in the marketplace by looking at that. So let's talk about you, man, and, and your background. Like, how did you get to this point, right? Like, how did you get to it where you founded your second company and one, you have the one on crypto and then you have this one, right? And, you know, what was the journey like going through bootstrapping specifically? I want to hear that. It's a long journey. <laughs> I tell you that much. Um, I, there's been a lot of ups and downs in my particular case. Um, and I think that that's the case for a lot of uh, founders that are, you know, veterans. Um, but uh, if you don't mind, I, I, I can rewind back to college because I think that's kind of where my journey really started. Um, so I, I studied information science uh, in the engineering school at Cornell, um, and we uh, that was you know pretty unheard of at the time. And I mean, I'm not that old, but 2008 I graduated, and information science was not even a major in the engineering school. There was there it wasn't in the art school, but it wasn't in the engineering school when I started. Um, so I was one of I want to say three or five graduates of that particular major uh, in 2008, um, and uh, you know, crazily enough, they actually have a whole college dedicated to that now. Um, so there's like thousands of people or maybe over a thousand people, um, in that, in that, uh, major now. Um, and, uh, you know, I really, uh, I was kind of, I, I would describe myself at the time, like really as a data nerd, um, tech person, I, I you know, I, I was a coder and, and, uh, and, you know, loved SQL and really, um, you know, just wanted to kind of get a better, uh, uh, well-rounded, um, skill set. So instead of going to IBM afterwards, which was one of my choices, I went to a company called Nira, um, which uh, basically was way out of my comfort zone. Um, they did economic analysis in securities class action lawsuits. And okay. you know, I, I, I had a little bit of a background in finance, but I really didn't have much. And I definitely didn't have much in economics um, or litigation. So uh, it was a great, it was great to throw myself into the fire my first job at a school um, into something I didn't know and, and learn more. Um, and luckily, uh, hedge funds like th that background of somebody that, you know, plays around with, with, uh, with finance and, and economics, but really has a technical background. Um, so I got headhunted by uh, a company, by a you know, hedge fund that was um, about $1.3 billion under management when I interviewed. Um, or, and, and then when I got there, about $1 billion and then, uh, unfortunately, as I was there for about a year, um, the, the, the capital uh, continued to contract. Um, despite them being around for 10 years, which means you're a successful hedge fund, they, they just couldn't uh, keep going with, uh, with that type of situation. So um, after about a year of me um, working in um, a company that really didn't know how to utilize my skill sets, because out of 25 people, I was the only technical person, the only data person, and the next, I was probably 24, 25, the next youngest person was 37 at the company. 
So it was a, it was kind of a culture shock for me. And, and um, I, you know, getting things done and getting people to change their ways that they've been stuck in for 10 years uh, was a challenge, but a challenge that I enjoyed. Um, and what I did there was actually a, dabbled in both the back and front office. Um, so I basically helped both the internal kind of um, teams to, to, to keep track of um, their performance and, um, uh, you know, where our, or where our money was, where, where our, where uh, our, you know, uh, um, revenue was coming from as well as the front office, which was more just understanding which investments we should make, um, and utilizing, uh, traditional financial market data like black, uh, FactSet and Bloomberg, um, and, and, uh, assisting our analysts to analyze these, these companies from a, from a higher perspective. And, and what they did was it was a fundamental research, um, long, short equity, uh, um, fund, which basically means they're using, uh, SEC, they're reading SEC filings. They're creating kind of simple Excel models to understand, you know, where they think a company is going to be going, um, and making, uh, bets on a particular company in, in a sector and then shorting the rest of the sector. So basically saying, Hey, I think Amazon is the best e-commerce company. And I think that's at the de- detriment of the rest of them that it's yeah. going to outperform the rest. I saw, I saw that on billions, that whole episode on that, where they would, uh, they would pound the over on, on one of the investments and then they would short everything else in the space. So, okay. So keep that, going. So, so that, that's so kind that, of the, um, the long, short fundamental research equity, uh, game generally, uh, over the past many years. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I worked there and, and when I came out of that company, I really, I really kind of stepped back and, and I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in some way. My parents were. So, um, even though they told me not to, uh, I wanted to start my own company. Um, and, uh, I started realizing, you know, why aren't these funds using some of these data sources that exist for the marketing or advertising space? Real, real quick, let me let me pause something, Jordan, because sure. you said something, and I want to go a little deeper. So, why did you decide to start your company? Like, like I know you wanted to. Your parents like had said, like, "Hey, man, don't don't start your company. We, Jordan, do not do this, right?" But so, why did you decide your, to start your company? And like, what's your why now, and how how that relates, and it hasn't changed. Um, I mean, one big thing for me was independence. Um, I really, uh, whenever I worked for another company, well, first of all, I went from. I went from bigger company to smaller company in my career. Uh, I, my, I, inter- I didn't mention this, but I interned at Merrill Lynch. And then I worked at a medium-sized company near a, worked at a you know, small hedge fund. Um, and then, you know, now, you know, being an entrepreneur is even smaller. So mm-hmm. um, I, I really saw that I could have a lot more independence and my, my work would actually be valued, the, the smaller an organization I was at. Um, and I saw some issues with some of the decision-making um, in each of my companies really. Um, but, uh, and I haven't gotten into this yet, but my first startup, I, I was not the main founder. Um, and there was a lot of friction, uh, with, um, the main founder as well as the other, you know, stakeholders, investors. Um, and so I really needed to branch out of my own for that reason. They, mm-hmm. they were not following through on promises that they had made <clears> to <throat> me. Um, and, uh, the, I, was the real brains behind the operation was not getting compensated like that. And that was just because I had no control. Um, and so I realized that, you know, for me to get where I wanted to be in, in both life and my career that I needed to have full control 
of um, of how a company was was operated. Um, so, and and then one other thing was my dad always told me that in order to make as much money as he did, which by the way we weren't we were well off but not rich, like we were you know doing okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, he said, as long there's no way for you to make as much money as I am making at a normal corporate gig. You have to, you know, own your own business in order to do that. And what, what did your dad do? What uh, was he? It was a process control engineering company, which is um, basically computerizing factory systems, both hardware okay. and software. Was um, he an executive at all or no? He, he, he founded the company, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that makes sense. All right, keep going. Yeah, and, and uh, um, so where was I? So that's, I mean, and then my dad told me again, he, like, he, he didn't want me to go through all of the hardships he went through um, as any parent does. And, uh, and so he didn't want me to start my own company for that reason. Um, but you know, it, it's more, it, you, you never necessarily listen to exactly what your parents say. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's awesome, man. And and that's, that's a tough journey. Like, especially bootstrapping, man, I, I give you a lot of credit for doing that. There's, there's a lot of options to or routes you can go and to do anything in tech bootstrap. There's, there's some lift off that you need to take cash wise and then reoccurring to, to get that moving. Um, and you said one of the things that, that I thought was interesting, you said lots of ups and downs, I guess, like what was the, the, the biggest downs that you experienced? Not to, not to bring you down right now, but just to have the realistic, you know, non social media view of it. And so just give me a real quick summary of that, man. I'd love to hear that. I'm going to give you the full unfiltered version. Um, there it was, uh, it's pretty, it, it was pretty, it was, I was pretty down. So, um, my first company, that I started, that I talked to you about, um, is actually I I I, I uh, simplified it a little bit. We actually had a, I actually started an email a receipt company before Unroll Me. Um, mm-hmm. That was a much smaller sample size, uh, sim- very similar strategy. Um, but I, like I said, I was not the main founder, um, and uh, I was given a bunch of promises that were not put on paper, um, and uh, and we had some things put on paper and not some things put on paper. Um, there was and there was. Uh, basically three other people involved, um, my co-founder and then, uh, somebody else that, um, was the initial like kind of minority investor, like a small investment, but somehow ended up with most of the control. Um, and, uh, the main issues were my co-founder as well as that main investor were, uh, were kind of just blowing me off when I was asking about, you know, what was going on with the promises they had made for me. Um, and there, there came to a point where, I couldn't even get a response from, from, uh, the investor. Uh, and I called him out of nowhere and he berated me on the phone for calling him on his cell phone. Um, meanwhile, he owned 50% of a company that I built myself to, a like 1.5 million run rate within eight months. Um, and, uh, and I couldn't get a response from him and, and all he would do is yell at me. Um, so that was one really low point. Uh, and that was when I decided, okay, I need to go look for something else um, right. and I need to make a better company. And that's basically what I did with Unroll Me. Now, here's a twist. Um, when I built, you know, Unroll Me, the, the monetization uh, um, option within Unroll Me, uh, it was going really well. Um, we had a much better data set. It was better in every way. I did, I did not have a non-compete. Um, so I was able to do that without really worrying about legal com- uh, complications and then all of a sudden, uh, I got served a large stack of papers one morning 
um, saying that, you know, I had stole trade secrets and confidential information from that previous startup. Um, and that was probably the low, the real low point. Um, so I had to go through a pretty lengthy process to, to deal with that, uh, legal issue. Um, which by the way, you know, you can go read the filings out there. I was in no, I had done nothing wrong, but it took basically 10 months and, you know, a lot of money on both sides, a lot of time and effort on both sides, a lot of uh, taking your attention away of the actual businesses yeah. trying to build. Focus, right? Um, it fills your focus, man. I think it pretty much took down their business. Um, and in a way kind of uh, took me away from enroll me enough where, um, you know, the outcome, while it was good for the company as a whole, wasn't as good as it could have been for me. Oh, yeah. um, so that was the real lowest point. That's tough, man. Well, let's switch, shift gears a little bit. So what's the number one strategy that you're using right now to grow your business? Um, the number one strategy is actually at this uh, new happy hour that I'm, uh, it's called an alternative data happy hour. Uh, I, I live in New York city, which is really a good place to be if you're trying to sell to hedge funds. Um, and, uh, I, um, I started it a few months ago, a couple months ago. Uh, it's, we've done two of them so far and we've doubled in size, uh, with very minimal effort. Um, I model, I model it off of, uh, another, uh, you know, data person in the, in the industry, uh, who's doing something similar. And I basically just said, Hey, this is the same thing, but for alternative data. Um, and, uh, we're getting, you know, our relationships are really thriving because of that. Um, that's the, that's the most recent, at least. So you're doing like a live monthly event with all your potential prospects and customers kind of like getting everyone together. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah. So if, when I started, uh, in this, uh, mass in 2016, I always thought to myself, I need to keep these relationships close to the vest. Like that's my value is I know the data providers. I know the data buyers. I need to be the one connecting them directly and capturing value out of that. Um, and while that's not necessarily totally different today, I realize that I don't need to keep all the value to myself, uh, to our, you know, to, it, 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 we, we can't be trying to capture a piece of every single deal. Um, we need to be connectors and be known as the people that are the ones that, you know, have all these relationships and know where the data is, even if we're not only capturing, you know, some portion of those actual transactions. Okay. So you're having the data providers and the potential customers all in the same place. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, so you're and, like, and I mean, our main competitors, um, we realized about, you know, several years ago that our main, our, there's basically three main competitors that people compare us to typically, uh, and they're all basically event companies. Um, they, they try to do a, you know, a lot of what we're doing, but they are making the majority of the revenue through events and they are focused, that makes them focus a lot of their time on building those events. Uh, and that's an advantage for us as we're, you know, a data company. Um, that, you know, now is, you know, dabbling a little bit in very informal events, um, just to build our network. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting, uh, way to kind of approach it. So I love that, man. So before we wrap things up, cause we're getting close on time, how are you leveraging AI in your business right now? Uh, the short story is we're not much. Um, okay. the longer story is there, you know, there's a lot of ways we've been kind of playing around with it and thinking about it. Um, so, uh, I actually started playing around with chat DPT and said to myself, okay, does it have any idea what I'm talking about when I, when I'm, you know, ask it about alternative data? Um, and by the way, most people like 
that are not in my industry have no idea what that means. Um, ChatGPT knew it, and ChatGPT wrote me a really cool a blog posts um, that theoretically I could have posted, but you know I would have needed to do you know significant editing too. And then I asked it to build a database of data providers, just like our main focus is, and it was able to do that. And that's when it really blew my mind. And I, I said to myself, okay, if I were to plug in all of the metadata that I've been collecting on these data providers and somehow upload it to ChatGPT and asked it to, you know, enhance that information, um, add to it, you know, get rid of the um, stale information, uh, et cetera, it, it would just accelerate my business uh, immensely. Um, and so that is something that we're planning. Um, we, you know, it, it, there, there is a pretty big lift to internally, like skills wise, uh, to get there. Um, and I'm not even quite sure that's really what chat GPT specifically is built to do. Um, but AI in general will be. So, uh, Another thing I'd like to mention regarding that is, and this is another future plan, but um, a lot of our business is, you know, getting inquiries from, uh, you know, a hedge fund data buyer saying, hey, I'm looking for, I don't know, um, satellite data on uh, uh, Chinese um, uh, oil storage. Um, uh, I'm putting, giving something specific out there, which has happened before. Um, and uh and so we we would go and and you know do a little bit of research on their behalf and and go into our database and figure out who does this, what are their advantages and disadvantages, um, you know, and which ones should we shortlist in order to to explain this to our our client. Well, the first layer of that kind of research um, should and could be done by an AI. The first answers should be given by an AI instantly, um, and that is definitely something that ChatGPT can do. Um, and if it has the additional uh, information that we've already collected built into its system, it will do it probably even better than I can do it, um, it you know, on a, in, a, in a short period of time. Um, now, obviously, you'll need deeper information that it might be able to give you eventually. And so you'll use it as a first step and then we'll, we'll, be, we'll come in after that. Love that, ma'am. Well, unfortunately, we're up on time. And so where can people find you? Where can they find more about your organization, and we'll wrap it up from there. Sure. Uh, I'm Jordan Hauer, H-A-U-E-R, on LinkedIn. Um, that's been my most active channel recently. Uh, but uh, also uh, um, important is amassinsights.com, A-M-A-S-S-I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.com, um, and uh, at amassinsights on, on Twitter. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for being on, Jordan. I was love, uh, love going deep on data and all the uh, different ways to look at things and your journey. It was, uh, it was really awesome. And, and congrats on all your progress, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.